Hi, and welcome to the Nook Podcast, hosted by the Nook Online, a base camp for women on the rise. I'm Noah. And I'm Kim. Nook for short. The Nook is a membership-based community for women around the world to connect, uplift, educate, and empower one another. It's a place for us to pause and catch our breath. Each week on this podcast, we'll be having meaningful discussions with some incredible experts within our community on multifaceted subjects ranging from leadership and entrepreneurship to wellness and relationships. Our hope is that these conversations will spark some fire in your soul, help you live on purpose, live wholeheartedly, and ultimately be in the driver's seat of your life. Today on the Nook Podcast, we have Sheila Walker, a behavioral geneticist. She studies the biological intersection between stress and educational outcomes. We discuss how there's good stress and bad stress, and how stress is an internal state that is not necessarily rooted in the world. We hope you enjoy our conversation today. If you enjoy this podcast today, please remember to share, rate, and review it, and head to thenookonline.com to join our community. Welcome, Sheila. Thank you for joining us today on the Nook Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So we would love to start with, how did you become an expert in stress? How did I become an expert in stress? Wow, good question. Um, I've always been interested in the topic from a personal standpoint. Um, this, you know, dates back to, uh, you know, experiences that I had in my younger years. And it's just been a continuing in area of interest because everybody talks about it. It's, it's something that we uh, all experience at some point in time. My work at Johns Hopkins got me embedded into the stress arena in a very different way, really looking at the biological embedding of stress and what stress does to to the brain, to the structure and function of the brain, particularly of children, the developing brain, and the immune system, and why those things are uh, relevant for our health, for our mental health, physical health, behavioral health, uh, and, and everything that stems from that, and with health being the foundation of, of, of all that we are and all that we can do out in the world, I really did a deep dive into this topic, and, and, um, and so I've, I've, uh, I, I read everything that I can on it, that uh, it is at the intersection between biological science, so genetics, neurobiology, endocrinology, and then social science. What's, what's very interesting is that my work at Johns Hopkins with the, the Center on the Early Life Origins of Disease uh, has a, um, the, the prenatal and even preconception effects of stress on the developing child can be, can be profound. Um, they're actually stress uh, or cortisol receptors on the placenta. And um, so maternal stress can play a role in, in child development longer term. So this is relevant, uh, but this, I know this is a very long answer, but the, uh, what's important to know is that we are a 24-7 dynamic work in process as human beings through epigenetics. And, you know, if, if genes are the, the recipe for proteins, epigenetics is sort of what makes the engine drive. And so we're always uh, changing and reshaping over time. And there are many ways to moderate stress as well. From a geneticist perspective, what is stress? You know, we, I, I'm obviously familiar with, you know, the, the feeling of stress, but what exactly is going on in your, in your body and in your brain when you're stressed? 
So there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, a hormone called cortisol, which is the best known um, researched uh, hormone that we look at surrounding stress. But so cortisol levels tend to go up when we, when we get stressed. And then um, there are other biochemicals that can um, activate as well. There can be higher levels of adrenaline. We feel really stressed when something is, is going wrong. We need to address it right now. Our dopamine levels go up because we're hyper aware and uh, you know, other various biochemicals, there's a sort of cocktail that kicks into gear that, um, that gives us fast power now, uh, fast power to our large muscle group so we can kind of run away from the tiger. You know, there, there, there are basically three kinds of stress as defined by the American Academy of Pediatrics. There is, there is acute stress, which is when something is happening right now and you need to deal with it. This is, this is the, the fireman you know, carrying the, the child out of a burning building. There is, there is toxic stress. This is when the, the stress response stays in overdrive. The gas pedal of the car gets put down and you know, floored. And this, bio, this very powerful um, cocktail of stress uh, uh, hormones uh, and other biochemicals uh, stays locked down. And this can have you know, impact on the organ systems and the brain and so forth. Um, and this is uh, this this happens when there is not any buffering, you know, um, uh, sidebar, you know, anything that helps to uh, ameliorate the stress. So toxic stress is just the car with the gas pedal floor in the floor position. And there's tolerable stress, and tolerable stress is really important because we all experience stress at times, and uh, for um, you know for. Uh, children in particular, um, having a, a safe kind of buffering, nurturing adult around to help buffer that stress makes, a, makes the world of difference. It can make that, that, that potentially toxic stress tolerable at a physiological level, a level and allow that, that uh, what could be negative, adverse, you know, mental and physical health outcomes really build that into resilience and learning how to deal with stress in a positive way. Could you talk more about that? We've, we've read a lot about it and talked to a lot of people recently about this idea of sort of having positive stress in yeah. your life and yeah. sort of harnessing stress and I guess having tools, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, especially with children, yeah. How, yeah. how one makes stressful situations more positive and how do we weave that into life? Well, well life, there's a, there's a term for positive stress called eustress, E-U stress, and life is full of stress, and stress isn't all bad. Stress helps is a natural and important factor in, in human development. It helps bring us to the top of our game and rise to uh, the level of competition, or we have to go out and do a, you know, a public speaking event, or take a test, or go out and play in a competitive sports event, or anything along those lines. It requires all of those, those stress biochemicals to kind of get us ramped up. There's, there's a, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there are individual differences in how we all metabolize and respond to, to stressful situations. So there, there are differences in how, um, you know, what may be stressful for one person may not be stressful for another. And there are also, um, there's kind of a, an, an apex. If you think about an inverted U-shaped curve, it's called the dot, dots and yerks curve. It's like from the early 1900s, um, this conceptualization of stress as um, the level of stress and then the productivity. And for, for everyone, there's, some, there's a certain point at which you reach your maximum productivity you know, with a certain amount of stress. Anything over that, it turns into the spinny wheels of anxiety and, and, and the performance level can, can go way down and can actually plummet. If you, you know, I'm a tennis player, so I can you know, conceptualize it as, as just 
choking, you know, if we're, I'm, I'm getting ready to return serve and I'm really stressed and really nervous, that's when the, ch the kind of choking effect and, and you know, missing the ball, uh, that factor pops into it. But when we, when we just sort of shut down, that's, that's when the stress level has gotten to be too much. But so there's a right level for everyone. And, and um, you know, there are lots of things you can do to learn to, to manage it better in a healthier way. Breath is a big one. And so um, you talked about there's a right level for everyone. So is, is the, the human body's response to stress very individualized? You know, one person might be able to stand and face a saber-toothed tiger for a lot longer than somebody else. I mean, metaphorically speaking, obviously. Yeah. It, is it, I have two questions. One, is it, it the body's response to stress, is that individualized? And two, is it a really fine line between that like sweet spot of stress and too much stress? Yes, um, you know, there, there are big individual differences. My background, my PhD work was in behavioral genetics. So I worked on a big twin study around how nature and nurture influence behavior. We looked at 15,000 twins, identical and fraternal twins to really look at, at differences in cognitive abilities, behavior, language development, all, all kinds of different things. My focus was on education. So yes, there, there is you know, stress, uh, you know, how we respond and, and react to stress is heritable. There's, a, there's an important genetic component, but importantly, there are also learned- And is it from both maternal and paternal? Or mostly, yeah. Yes, absolutely, because genetics, I mean, if we think about, um, you know, the, the 50, it should be theoretically, you know, 50% of the genetic material of mom, 50% of dad. It doesn't really work that way because there are dominant recessive genes, but it, it's from both sides. And there, there are some, some genes sort of carry more weight than others, and they add up in an interactive way, in a one plus one equals three kind of way. Um, but what we know about stress is that early life stress can be very, very sticky in the brain, in the young developing brain. So, so the... Uh, you know, maternal attachment behavior is incredibly important early on in life to help uh, children um, adapt and feel comforted in the world and, and allow for these, um, you know, these kind of neurobiological pathways that can, can, be, can, can be very reactive if a child feels, a young child feels alone and fearful, um, you know, to, uh, to have uh, a positive and reliable and trusting and safe relationship with their, you know, with their caregiver that can help set them up for success later on in life. And that's not saying that mom has to be with baby all the time because we have three boys. It's not possible, but it's, it's also, it's, um, it's just important to really understand the incredible importance of early attachment, how important these early years are on that front, because it does shape um, how genes are expressed and how these very, um, malleable and um, and kind of profoundly er sticky early neural pathways are, are set up over, over time. So I would love your thoughts thinking about this, you know, how children are first set up, but we are hearing and reading a lot about children in sort of upper, um, middle and upper class families who are exhibiting sort of PTSD and, and similar stress levels as children who actually grow up in really very difficult situations like refugee camps. Mm -hmm. Do you have any um, thoughts on that? And you know, what, what's going on and, and how do we think about making sure that's not happening in our own communities? How do we even start to think about where, that? Where do we go um, with this? There's, there is, um, you know, the, the era that we're 
growing up in with technology, with social media, with some of this, this pressure um, that is imposed in a way that, that was never prevalent, prevalent in a very different way when I grew up is, is very topical. So, um, you know, PTSD, we think about PTSD as a, a battlefield, you know, issue, but it's, it's really something that, you know, there's a continuum. There's, we, we all have our things that really trigger us, what, whatever they might, whatever they might be and get us really stuck. And um, so, you know, in terms of socioeconomic status, I mean, we're all, you know, just because someone grows up in, you know, in a, in a, uh, more affluent family doesn't make them immune to uh, stress and depression. There are other kinds of uh, pressures on that front. Um, Price of Privilege is a wonderful book on this, uh, Madeline Levine. But it, uh, it, it all has to do with getting, basically getting stuck in these repetitive neural pathways around things that become chronic stressors. Again, acute stress and moderate stress is fine. Like we're all, we all have it. We may have someone who, you know, um, cuts us off in traffic or an incident with one of our children or things come up all the time, but the cortisol, the stress response, the biological stress response should activate right away. And then about 20, 30 minutes later, it should start to come down again. So again, when that level remains elevated, that becomes a problem. And that's the, the issue with PTSD. An another issue with PTSD and, 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 you know, sort of, I'm, I'm crossing all arenas here, just talking broadly about what it is like. There's a, there seems to be a um, miscalculation, a chronological miscalculation in the brain on the timeline so that the person in their mind is back in the place where the stress was, even though it's not that, that time. So that in that biological response, because what we perceive to be real in our environments around us is actually biochemically real in our bodies. So, you know, this is, it, it's sort of, it's a, it's a blanket statement for how at some level, you know, we all have our, our issues around how we get stuck with stress. But uh, the PTSD is obviously at the extreme where it becomes a paralyzing, you know, quality of life affecting issue. And, you know, there are strat cognitive behavioral therapy has been incredibly um, effective in dealing with PTSD. Could you explain that a little bit? What is for the layman cognitive behavioral therapy? Cognitive behavioral therapy is really working with someone to develop new patterns, new patterns of behavior and new thoughts associated with, with things that are causing problems in one's life. And, you know, if you, you know, imagine having a, a you know, a, a, a thought that is really taking you down a rabbit hole and stunting your ability to be open and present in the world, taking that thought and reframing it into another thought and then just practicing. Because what we know about the brain is that repetition matters a lot. Repetition, repetition, repetition. So we do have a choice in this, this moment and this power of the pause, you know, to, to really make a decision about how we want to react to something. And one very you know, strong characteristic of, of PTSD or being stuck in a behavior is rigidity in the brain where there's just, it just, there's a reactivity. The mind just goes to this particular place. What, what cognitive behavioral therapy tries to do is really replace that thought with another more adaptive thought. And the end goal in all of this is to have a more flexible cognitive style where, where things can come in. There can be a little bit of a pause where there's a re reflective moment and then a redirection of action because we do have a choice about how we just how we choose to think about things 
And what we know is that it really pays to be positive. Positivity is a really good thing. Even if you're wrong, it's a, it's a good thing. You know, not, not when you're facing the saber, saber tooth tiger, that's, that's, that's a bad time to really. Exactly. <laughs> right. really I'm sure that tiger is friendly. I'm just going <laughs> to give it a hug. Probably not gonna but for the stuff that we deal with, you know, it really does pay to just really reframe, feel, feel a sense of gratitude for the things that are uh, present in our lives and, and the things maybe that aren't present in our lives. I've got a terrible kind of issue with my lower back from a tennis tournament a few years ago. I've just started to see a, a, a wonderful trainer that's been hugely effective and strengthening that area. And I've not had back pain for two months and I'm grateful every single day. I mean, there's always, we can, it's easy to be, sometimes easier to be grateful for the things that are right there in front of our face and not, and not to be grateful for things that were, were a problem yesterday, but aren't a problem today. But um, if we can channel towards gratitude, it really is helpful biologically. Because again, what is real in the mind is real in the body. Well, and I think I, you also said very quickly um, something about taking a breath. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, with that, all of that stress and chronic stress and, and you're closing in on somebody, that taking that pause and actually taking those deep breaths seems like... It, because it's so ingrained in your biology by, by just breathing and physically mm -hmm. helps to lift out of the brain a little yeah. bit, being present we, in the body. We forget to breathe. We forget to breathe. Right. And breathing gets very shallow under stress and, and we sort of tense up our bodies. Uh, one thing that is incredibly helpful, and of course our lungs are transportable, so it's a toolbox we can take anywhere we go. I, I do it. I, I do transcendental meditation. I uh, highly recommend if anyone is interested in, in TM, um, David Lynch Foundation is a wonderful website to go to. There are teachers all over the place and there is deep science on this, uh, on this, uh, in this arena. Um, and, but any, any, any type of mindfulness meditation or my meditation practice is wonderful. This is mine right now. Um, but it's uh, 20 minutes twice a day. Sometimes I, I don't make my second round. I, but I do take, I do do the first round every morning when I get up. Um, and then I take power pauses throughout the day at times when I can feel myself seizing up a little bit. And, you know, I will say that that is one of the more powerful management strategies that I have uh, as I move through my day, because it allows me to, the second I feel like I'm tensing, I just slow down my breath. I'll take three breaths as slowly as I possibly can. And it really brings me back to the moment, to, to where my feet are. So I can be more thoughtful about what's really happening instead of being in a reactive space. So mm -hmm. breath is an incredibly important tool. So I was going to ask you, and it sounds like you've sort of answered it, um, some simple techniques that we as individuals can do once we feel like we're in that elevated cortisol, you know, whatever that stress response looks like and feels like for you. Mm -hmm. um, but if you, if you're on the outside and on the other side of seeing a loved one, you know, paralyzed by this going down a, a rabbit hole, mm -hmm. what, what techniques can you do and, and suggest to be able to help that person kind of snap out of it, I guess? Yeah, well, sometimes... And it, is that even possible? Well, you know, it's, it depends. You know, it's all in the context. Everything, everything depends on, on the person combined with the context and, and lots of other factors that, are, that, that, are, that play into it. Like sleep is a hugely important factor um, in, 
in how we, uh, you know, how we respond to stress, how we manage stress. Um, so, you know, reaching someone when they are stressed and uh, in a, you know, and incredibly sleep deprived is going to be different than reaching someone when they're stressed and, and more, a more, more, have more ability to be thoughtful about what's really happening in a concrete way. Um, but, you know, empathy, understanding, human connection always go a long way. And sometimes we can't help the other person, but it sure is nice to not feel alone mm-hmm. when, um, you know, I'm, we've all had the feeling of, of uh, just feeling someone touch us in the right way in, in, a, in, a, in the heart space at a time when it's really important. And it just is nice to be seen. And, and ha- for children in particular, ha- helping them understand that it's not a permanent state it's, you know, I, I think of it, I talk to our boys about the clouds blowing by in the sky. You know, if there may be a cloud right on your head right now, like a big dark cloud, but if you wait a little bit and just kind of breathe into it and, you know, talk, think about what it really is, what it is that's bothering you, maybe talk about it. It's always out, out in the kind of environment rather than bouncing around in one's head where we can ruminate and make it into something even worse than it was before. You know, those are all good strategies, but just, you know, um, talking human connection or you know for some people um and i you know i like to i for me activity and exercise is a big piece of it so if there's one positive thing we can do in our lives every day it is get out to do something whatever that is um because that's just the 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 positive biochemical cocktail for you know health and and productivity and, and everything that we uh aspire towards as human beings over the long haul so going out for a nice walk in nature really looking at the leaves, looking at the clouds in the sky, looking at the flowers, being really present can help slow us down and reconnect in with the world. Because, you know, stress is just, it's an internal state. It's an internal state that's not rooted in, not necessarily rooted in what's happening on the outside. And that rumination piece can be a killer. Mm-hmm. And I have another question. Um, what, as a, as a parent and mm-hmm. as a scientist, what what's your relationship with technology and your thoughts on you know little mini screens <laughs> well i um i i've got to use my screen because and the screens i mean the, you know there are some incredibly adaptive wonderful aspects of the screens and our boys all love to facetime with their buddies and and um they have games that they like to play and it's nice to communicate with them via text and send pictures around and things like that. It can be problematic. It's incredibly addictive as, as parents know, and there, there need to be important limitations because that it can interfere with a lot of different things, um, including sleep, uh, no screens in the bedroom at night, no phones, no laptops, no iPads. Um, sleep is critical. I, I'd like to just pop in a book recommendation here. Uh, Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep. He's a Berkeley professor. It is an excellent book. It came out, I believe, last year, and it's got, it's accessible and has um, just really all the most up-to-date research about why it's really, really important to make sleep a priority uh, at all ages, particularly particularly children, because so much is, is kind of under construction in their brains and bodies. But, you know, as parents, you know, we, we, you know, we struggle with it. We, we try to, we set limitations um, and we've just got to stay on top of it. And, you know, they, I think um, <laughs> our boys living with me, who not only tells them to get off their phone, but I tell them what's happening inside of their brain. <laughs> Mom, <laughs> <laughs> off 
already. Um, so they know, uh, and they, they know that when we, when we say enough, it's, you know, they, that, it's, that it's enough. But I, you know, as I see one thing that I think is incredibly important for, you know, um, the human time, I me mean, being human beings together, not human doings together, being human beings together and being connected. So, you know, family dinners or out in restaurants and so forth, having, you know, having, uh, you know, screens at the table or have, you know, even bringing iPads along for your children. I know it's, it's sometimes convenient and, and you're able to have an adult conversation, but um, it's really such critical time to give them, to give them these, you know, developing social skills and, and being able to read cues and read eyes and, and, and just integrate into the flow of, of uh, social conversation. That's an incredibly, incredibly important skill. So. Yeah, definitely. What do you think, um, what are, do you have some recommend, recommendations on what could we could be doing within our educational system right now for children and managing stress? Are there things that would, you would love to see across, you know, our public system? Or There are a couple of pieces that I think are really important. First of all, teachers, um, helping teachers understand the effects of stress, um, particularly chronic stress uh, on children. Uh, is is very important, and some of the some of the content that um, that I've been out delivering turnaround for children that, that I've just I've just stepped off the board of turnaround for children. It's a wonderful New York based organization focused on getting out content for for teachers that is embedded in science. It talks a lot about a lot you know a lot about the effects of stress and, and the fundamentals of, of childhood development, which teachers need to know about. Amazingly, teachers get on average one child development course or over the course of their teacher training. Wow. So there's a real, real space for teachers just to know more about how children operate in this regard. So th there's another piece, which is around, uh, well, there are two pieces. I'm going to go one, one more piece. So the other piece is, is, is the, the power of the pause and, you know, in, in incorporating mindfulness practices uh, into the classroom. There are lots of different ways to do this. Uh, David Lynch Foundation's group has a, a quiet time program that has been hugely effective um, in, you know, there are many, many uh, research papers on how it can um, reduce behavior problems, depression, anxiety. Um, academic achievement is a hard one because so much doesn't show up in academic achievement in all of the educational research. Um, but there are factors that, that play into, you know, that play into how a child's experience of being in school. And if our goal as educators is to really make learning sticky and, and create lifelong learners and, and, and get children engaged in their areas of passion and love to learn, it's important to have all these other factors in a good space, that they're in a good mind space to be able to, to, uh, to learn and absorb information and connect with other students and their teachers. The third piece is, is sports and activity and exercise and getting out and, and moving their bodies. And you know, not everyone is necessarily gonna be uh, an, an athlete and want to play travel soccer or, you know, what have you, or competitive sports, but just any kind of movement is incredibly important. And if you look at, uh, you know, programs that have some aspect of, of um, uh, you know, exercise and, uh, you know, out, outdoor activity in particular engaged in the program, it's, it, the outcomes are typically better across the board. Mm. So a great segue, um, the next question I wanted to ask you, um, one of the reasons I love you is that you are this perfect embodiment of, um, I love you too. 
this perfect embodiment of this multifaceted modern woman. You know, you are, you are still are a professional tennis player. You're a scientist, you're an educator, you're a mother, you know, all these hats that you're wearing. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that wearing all those hats elegantly some days is harder than others, but I'd love to hear from your perspective. Um, what do you think tennis and sport in general has done for you today in terms of all the other roles that you play, your roles as mother, scientist, educator? Uh, that's a great question. So first of all, I'm, I'm no longer a professional tennis player, but I do play the, the ladies' nationals, the seniors' nationals, and I love to play. Which is a and bloody awesome accomplishment. <laughs> fun, and I love my friends. I mean, it's a, it's a very, um, dis, it's a distinct experience from having been in the juniors where it's really a lot about, mostly about competition, and this is mm -hmm. a lot about friendship. Mm -hmm. friendship and exercise and, and uh, just being out, out on the court with people that you love. Uh, tennis has just given me so much. Um, it's given me a, you know, a basis in wanting to always live an active life. So activity is a regular part of my, my day, regardless of whether it's tennis or something else. It's sort of my, my SSRI, my antidepressant, my mental health, I, I have a, you know, it, it really is, it does mirror biochemically, um, uh, you know, uh, medications, which is a great, another great reason to exercise. So mental, physical health, um, it's made me very aware of lifestyle factors that can, that can optimize performance and, you know, how my brain functions and, and so forth. Um, and it just makes me, it's made me very curious. Tennis is sort of an internal analytical sport. And um, I think that, you know, different kinds of people gravitate towards different kinds of sports. So this tennis is sort of perfect for my cognitive style. And it's, it's um, you know, it l lets me think a lot, but it's, uh, it's a, um, you know, I think of it really as a moving meditation that is, uh, you know, whenever I get a dose of it in my day, I'm, I'm better for it. But, you know, more broadly, I just feel grateful to have had a grounding in, in sports to have that activity piece and then to be able to pass that along to our boys as well. My husband is a, is a very good athlete. So we're just, we're an active family and, and having uh, the ability to, you know, pass along, uh, you know, behavioral habits that are going to help our children over the long term. You know, that's, that's, that feels like a really wonderful piece of it. And it's just fun. It's just fun to be out because it's, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's very basic. It's very basic uh, human time together. Mm -hmm. Brilliant answer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I think wrapping up here, we'd love to ask for our community, do you have any final words of advice or wisdom for helping other women think about getting into and being in the driver's seat of their life. We like to be about helping and encouraging other women within our community to really be empowered. And I'd love to hear your advice for other women. Well, it, uh, you know, it does, I think that me, like so many of us and, and, and you too, um, there's a, there's a lot going on. We wear a lot of hats and there's, there, there's a you know, transition tax <laughs> going from one activity to the next. And we find ourselves multitasking and really taking on lots of different things. And uh, it's not always easy to make those, make those transitions. 
Um, I think what's really important is building in uh, downtime, really downtime for, um, you know, to really recalibrate, you know, building in time into the day, putting it on the calendar to, to, to take a break and just have it be, you know, not phone, not laptop, um, whatever it is that makes you feel like you can just really let your hair down and breathe. I think that's incredibly important. There's another, another part of it that for me, I'm a journaler. So I've been keeping journals since I was in my mid teens. I've got like boxes of journals and I like to write. It's therapeutic for me. Um, but it's also helpful. It helps me bring together my thoughts, but it also helps me think about how I want to project forward from where I am and think about my path going forward. So there's, there's, there's time to reflect on what's happened and kind of put it in my story and in, in the, in a, a narrative, an empowering narrative, because the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves are the things that we project from. So it's important to reflect positively back on what these stories are. And if something, you know, bad happened, you know, frame it in a positive way, learn, you know, fail forward. Um, and then project forward, taking time to think about, you know, intentionally where you want to spend your precious time and think about life as a portfolio and, and choose those segments of, of your portfolio that you really want to emphasize and, and be very disciplined and vigilant about that precious time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and don't sacrifice quality time with, with, with family and friends, because that's like, that's the, that's the gas in the emotional gas tank that keeps us going. So. Amazing. Thank you uh, so much. That was, I was furiously writing notes here. Um, <laughs> one of the things I love about the work that we're doing is, you know, we selfishly get to select the people we have on our podcast because they're interesting to us. And so thank you for sharing yourself with us, your precious time with us. Um, it's been a joy to speak with you. And I'm just really grateful that we can share your wisdom with our community as well. Well, I'm, I'm grateful to be here today. And it's lovely to, to spend time with both of you. It makes me, Thank you. makes me feel happy inside. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.